2: and welcome to another edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the Tribune's Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Fantastic. Ready for game week. Yeah, it seems like we're all ready here. I mean, we we took a couple weeks off just as a preseason kind of, you know, just break to... You know, just focus and take our minds off of, you know, not necessarily Mizzou football and everything, but just to, you know, spend a little bit of time away before everything goes crazy this week. And as you know, it does during game week. So Langston, just kind of give us an update. What have you been to over? What have you been up to over the
0: past couple of weeks? And uh, how are you? Are you excited now that it's football season? Does it feel like it's game week in the SEC? it's it's really weird because I'm at this point I'm just trying to get used to the NFL being back and you know this last weekend you had a string of injuries with a ton of ACL tears so hoping to not see something similar like that I mean the first couple weeks of you know that power five football has gone you know seemingly well in the ACC but with the SEC coming back this weekend hoping to kind of avoid that type of bad string of luck but no I'm ready for football Um, we're in in week four Excuse me, week five for high school football in the Missouri, and I'm ready. I'm locked in. I'm ready to analyze and, and talk about football on this podcast. For sure, yeah. It feels like game week just with how busy I am as well. Uh, when we last talked
2: to you, uh, Missouri's quarterback was still ongoing, and, and it still kind of is, although I think probably EY Drinkwitz probably knows who he's starting by now. Uh, But the choices went from four to two. Uh, Last week, Taylor Powell, or I guess two weeks ago, Taylor Powell transferred out of the program. He is no longer on the team. And Brady Cook was not listed on the team's first depth chart, which we'll go over right now. Uh, So the choices are Connor Baselak, the redshirt freshman, or TCU transfer Sean Robinson. Robinson's kind of been the clubhouse favorite for a while. Uh, and is definitely the more experienced quarterback. But, you know, we'll see who starts against the Crimson Tide. Obviously, number two team in the country is coming to Columbia on Saturday to play on ESPN at 6 o'clock Central. But uh, do you have a pick here, Langston, as to who the starting quarterback is going to be? Or do you think that we're going to see both of them on Saturday?
0: Yeah, I just one of the things that I took from your stories from earlier this week is the Coach Drinkowicz talked a little bit about, you know, thinking or at least, you know, considering the idea of running multiple quarterbacks on Saturday. And I'm gonna go ahead and say I hate that idea. I'm of the um, the mindset of if you if you have multiple quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks. And I use that to say when I talk about my favorite football team, New Orleans Saints. You know. When you have to cycle out Drew Brees because he can't throw longer than ten yards, and you have to use another quarterback, aka Taysom Hill, you have a problem. You don't have the quarterback, so you have to use multiple quarterbacks. And I guess my question for you is, you know, you know, you have some tape on Connor lack a year ago. Went 15 for 21, 71.3%, 144 yards. What did you see from his two games? You know, mainly playing the Georgia game, towards ACL in Arkansas. That you kind of you, you can kind of take going into this year, obviously under a new season. Uh, system with uh, Coach Drankiewicz. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. Because, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, you said he
2: played against Georgia, but he played against pretty much Georgia's second team after Missouri was basically getting shut out. But, yes, he moved the ball down the field, and if Dom Jacinto catches, you know, reels in a ball he probably should have had, he throws a touchdown pass at Sanford Stadium. Uh You know, last November, and then he looked really good running just the option that Kelly Bryant was designed to run, very similar to what he ran with the Witchbone in high school. Man, he tore his ACL uh, at the in the middle of that game, and then Taylor Powell came on in relief and won against a, I think it was the, his name of the disease is not coronavirus obviously, but is uh stringing me it that it, it, oh, it was lupus was the name of the disease that a quarter of the arkansas team had and they were out for that game uh or it might have been the mumps not lupus lupus is something completely different uh, lupus is a little bit
0: more serious lupus is, <laughs> it's
2: not lupus i am so sorry it's the mumps it is the mumps loop I, I i apologize out there that's a horrible mistake uh no it, it was the mumps and i i remember just texting i must have been either, either my father or my mother i don't remember maybe even just like, hey, do I have a mump shot? I don't remember any of that, but uh, just just to make sure, because I was in close quarantine with all of the players in that press box at some point, just to be around them, but yes, that was a bad Arkansas team, and then Taylor Powell won that game. So therefore, I don't have too much actually to go off of. Um, It's odd. I've seen Sean Robinson play a game live from beginning to end, but I've never seen Connor Baselack play one, and and being a Mizzou beat reporter, that's because I saw Uh, Sean Robinson 2016 play at DeSoto High School in that state championship game. And that's obviously four years ago, and it's very different for Sean Robinson nowadays than it was back then. So there is still a little bit of a, you know, just unknown. And really, there's a lot of unknown about this really entire team going forward and that's maybe why i think and we got into this with our special guest this week brett hudson of the tuscaloosa news where the line is where it is because there's probably some speculation as to or you know just doubt as to how dynamic the current alabama offense can be especially when missouri's offense is a complete unknown you know so uh, you know people thought maybe well missouri's not not gonna be that good this year why is alabama not favored by more than 28 i think that might be the reason as to why so to answer your original question Connor Bay's like has shown signs, but hasn't shown a lot. And then we have to basically go off of the past and the potential shown by Sean Robinson there. So really the true test is going to be starting starting on Saturday. I mean, I don't know how much you can take from you know playing Alabama when you haven't live tackled another team since
0: Arkansas last November, but it'll be a better idea than what we currently have. Yeah, definitely. What are your thoughts about potentially seeing both against Alabama, especially if things kind of get out of hand and and he wants a different look? Dringo wants a different look in the second half. As long as they're not on
2: the field at the same time, I think it's okay, to be completely honest with you. Um, I, I think that – just part of drink with the strategy of let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks at the end of the day, if you're treating Alabama, it's kind of a freebie, which I don't think he should, but if you're treating Alabama, the Alabama game, okay, we're going to lose this no matter what. Why don't we just throw everything at the wall, see what works so we can use that against Tennessee. And we might see a little bit of that. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, You know, I, I still think that switching back and forth, back and forth might be a bad idea, but Kind of t- giving, you know, at least l- looks to both of them. Like Sean gets the first two quarters, Connor gets the fourth if they're down. That is something I think we might see, which we did see in games that weren't that close last year, but obviously Kelly Bryant was the starter at that time. So I, I don't think it's a horrible idea, but I think that eventually Eli is going to have to settle on one permanent guy. It's not going to be co-starters the entire year. I don't think that's going to be the case. It just might be, we might have to wait a little bit longer than expected to get a true answer of who the starter, permanent starter of this team is. We might know who it is game one,
0: but I wouldn't be shocked if maybe Eli says, well, I'm still kind of tinkering with it going into next week's game against Tennessee. Yeah, and it's really interesting because on the other side, looking at Alabama, Mac Jones is, there, is listed as the starter in their depth chart. And, you know, it's the complete opposite of Missouri situation with quarterback because last time we saw Mac Jones he was absolutely tearing apart Michigan and Alabama's route went over Michigan in their bowl game and went 16-25 327 yards with three touchdowns it's going to be interesting and kind of moving forward a little bit. And an earlier story this week, you kind of talked about in this Rankshaw, you know, being a surprise, being listed as the second starter at cornerback over Adam Sparks. What do you think he's going to be seeing, especially going against Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle there for Alabama? Yeah, that, that is definitely, definitely was kind of the biggest shot coming out with Eli Drinkwitz's first depth chart. I didn't
2: even know if we were going to get a depth chart, period, going into the Alabama game. So the fact that we did get one was, is a good sign for me drink uh, that he's willing to at least share a little something. So yes, the true freshman Ennis Rakestraw, beat, he beat out Adam Sparks, who has experience from previous seasons, and he's a true senior. This is his last year if he chooses to come back because the eligibility clocks are all not ticking right now because of COVID, but during a traditional season this would be his last year. And he was perfectly healthy going into this camp. So so it really this is really not an anti-Adam Sparks statement. This seems like a more pro-Ennis Rakestraw statement to me. And at the end of the day, it's, it's even more interesting because Ennis Rakestraw's final three was Texas, Alabama, and Missouri back in February when he signed. Uh, but it really sounded more like it was a top two between Alabama and Missouri. Uh, and, you know, just kind of doing some research on everything like him. I mean, Alabama was his... Dream school, and he got a home visit from Nick Saban a week before signing day, and he still chose Missouri. Uh, and so, you know, we, over his dream school, just Missouri was the first school to offer him back in October of 2019. Yes, that was a Barry Odom offer, but they were there early. It just seems like Alabama, you know, thought they could throw their weight around a little bit and came in at the last minute to try, try and secure a guy that said, Alabama is your dream school. If every player that says, Alabama's my dream school, got an offer from Alabama, they'd have. 100,000 kids on the team. so Exactly. But Ennis Drake's actually looks like he has enough talent to su- suffice that and ob- obviously earned that from Nick Saban, uh, who can kind of have his pick of the litter. So when you know going in now facing your dream school in your first collegiate game, not only that, but you're facing the likes of Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. I mean, he, he is l- literally being thrown into the fire. Congratulations. Welcome to college football. You're facing the number two team in the country at home. And you thought maybe you'd be playing for Alabama. Instead, you're lining up against them. It's just so interesting, you know. And and that'll be one of the more, I think, interesting matches we see throughout the day. Because on the other side of the ball, and we'll break down position by position after we get to the Hudson interview. But this is one thing that he kind of said to me is if he, he sees a route for Missouri to... You know, cover and keep this game closer than expected, he thinks that that would be passing and that would be attacking the Alabama secondary, where outside of Patrick Sertain, they have a little bit of an experience there. Yes, it's a lot of guys who, like Ennis Rakestraw, kind of are guys that have a lot of hype around them and have looked good, but they aren't proven when Alabama basically is proven at every other position on the football field. So having a guy like a Kiki Chisholm go up against a guy i think his name is jordan battle for uh, alabama who's a true freshman or maybe a redshirt freshman who's going to start for them a guy who went who's going to go was in d2 last year but looks like an nfl player from just the way he speaks and the little bit we've seen of him in camp going up against a guy who was so highly rated it's going to be just an interesting interesting day passing the ball on both sides
0: yeah, I definitely agree. And it, kind of just mentioning, you know, Mizzou secondary, you've got Ennis Reichstrah there. You also have Jarvis Ware as the other starting cornerback. But it also, you know, the secondary, excuse me, the safety duo, Joshua Bledsoe and Tyreek Gillespie got a lot of buzz this offseason and he's being a returning safety duo and really kind of taking that next step in anchoring this defense along with Nick Bolton. It's going to be interesting to see how that that secondary stacks up against Mac Jones in Alabama. And with that, let's get to the
2: uh, interview with the Tuscaloosa News' Brett Hudson. Uh, And when we come back, we'll break down the rest of this depth chart and go from there. Without further ado, here's an interview with Brett Hudson. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is the Alabama football beat writer for the Tuscaloosa News and USA Today Network, Brett Hudson. How are you doing, Brett?
1: I'm doing good, man. How are you?
2: Good. Just kind of give us a little bit about yourself before we get started talking football, how long you've been on the beat, all of that,
1: and where people can find you online. Sure. Um, I got to Alabama on tuesday of duke week last year so i i got to miss all the boring nonsense of a monotonous preseason camp which was which was nice i guess that was lucky on on my part um but i came over after covering mississippi state for two and a half years got one year of dan ballin and one year of joe moorhead for the the football team also got two trips to omaha out of the baseball team so that will was, that was fun. Um, and my wife and I have seven month old twin girls, so I don't sleep ever.
2: Yeah. How does that work, being, I guess, a new, a kind of a new father still, being new to fatherhood and being on the ecstasy beat with a school like Alabama? Uh,
1: mostly not sleeping very much. That's, that's mostly how it works. Uh, oh, I, I didn't answer the other question. I'm on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson, and the, the website for all of our Alabama coverage is tidesports.com.
2: Gotcha. Let's just go with the broad update. Just kind of tell me about this year's Alabama team. How does it differ from previous years and just what is it covering? What's like the gist is covering Nick Saban?
1: Uh, you don't get a lot of information out of, out of Nick Saban, first of all, or or Alabama in, in general. Assistant coaches are a no-go, excluding one, maybe two uh, press conferences with the coordinators in a calendar year. Um, players are severely limited, and um, so our support staff and all those other people, freshmen are, are off limits, et cetera, et cetera. On, on this year's team, I think it's going to be a little bit of an identity Change, but one that's probably familiar for Alabama when when they've had Tua Tagovailoa and the ridiculous wide receiver talent they've had the last couple of years. All, I mean Jerry Judy Henry Ruggs the third and Tua all went in the first round of the NFL draft last year. They, they've been a little more pass-first or at least more pass-forward than than they have been traditionally under Saban because not being pass-forward with that amount of talent is is borderline coaching malpractice when it comes to using the talent you have at your disposal. I mean, you, you have to, to make the most of, of those guys. And, and now they return four of their five starters on the offensive line from last year, a unit that was really good – Last year, they're going to be even better this year. I think they're going to have the best offensive line in the country this year. They returned Najee Harris, who ran for 1,200 yards last year. And unfortunately, the the shortened season is probably going to keep him Away from that, but if he ran for twelve hundred more yards this year, he would become Alabama's um, uh, career rushing yards record holder. Uh, he would break Derrick Henry's record for for that. And they returned several of the the running backs behind Najee Harris and added three more in the uh, in the freshman class. So I think it's going to be more of a run forward or, or a run first kind of team because the, the of the team is that's where they're at their best. They still have Jalen Waddle. They still have Devontae. Smith. They still have some uh, they still have Mac Jones, a quarterback who proved competent and and limited opportunities last year, but I think they're going to be a little more uh, run first or run forward this year, which would pair well with with a defense they expect to be a lot better. They played a ton of freshmen and young guys on last year's defensive line. Those guys come back with more experience. They return uh, arguably one of the best inside linebackers in the nation and and Dylan Moses. Um, So you you pair a more traditional Alabama running attack in terms of its prominence or its use in in the offense with a a defense that should be significantly improved from last year at least against the run. They do have some questions to answer in the secondary and I think you're going to get just a little bit of a throwback team out, out of Alabama this year I don't think they're going to look like they did in 2008 and 2009 where they've got two tight ends and and like an H-back or a fullback on the field sometimes but they are going to be more of a, a ground and pound physically dominant kind of team than they have been the last two or three years with Tua running the show
2: yeah, well, you, you, the whole thing about Najee Harris really interests, interests me just because of just the litany of backs they've had just the last decade. Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, Derrick Henry, and I'm probably forgetting someone. So just, just how do you think Najee Harris in terms of, you know, his career kind of stacks up with it seems like a really just boastful group of guys?
1: Yeah, he he has had an interesting career here. He was a, a huge five-star prospect in his recruiting class, one of the best uh, recruits in the country that year out of Antioch, California. Came across the, the nation to come to Alabama and didn't really make a big impact as a freshman because – as you mentioned, Alabama's preposterously talented at running back all of the time, so it's it's hard for, for anyone to break through and, and make an impact, but especially for, for a freshman to do that. Uh, so he kind of had to wait his turn and, and he got the, the lion's share of the carries last year. He got over 200 carries last year, which is a little atypical for, for Alabama. I mean, the, the Derrick Henry Heisman year notwithstanding where he got like 300 and something carries. Having, having one One guy getting over 200 is a little atypical for Alabama, but clearly they trust Najee Harris to take on that type of workload, and he set the school record for single season receiving touchdowns by a running back last year. He had seven receiving touchdowns, so he's he's a well-rounded threat and and someone that can do a lot to to give a defense headaches, but I also wonder if you're going to see as much of him this year because Alabama is so ridiculously talented behind him a running back. They have Brian Robinson Jr. who was effective and limited reps last year. Trey Sanders was a five-star recruit who very well could have been Bama's number two running back last year, but he had a season ending foot injury um, in preseason. They signed two four-star running backs in the recruiting class and Jace McClellan and Roy Del Williams. They, they pulled Jace uh, McClellan from Oklahoma on, on signing day. Um, and and uh, Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator, has mentioned that he wants to rotate running backs a little more because they're so deep and, and there really isn't much of a need for for Najee to take on a 200-carry season like he did last year when you're so deep at, at running backs. But what interests me about that is I, I looked at Steve Sarkisian's track record going back to his Washington and Head coach at USC days, that's not really something he's done. He's kind of got a track record of of finding a guy at running back and making him the feature ball carrier. So I'm I'm kind of curious if if he actually follows through with that or if if Najee is once again gonna be a guy that takes fifty five to sixty percent of the team's carries this year.
2: If you see any path, and it's okay if your answer to this is no. If there's a path for Missouri to even contend in this game, Missouri is currently a 28-point underdog according to the Vegas odds. Where would that be, and how would you expose that if you were Eli Drinkwitz?
1: I mean, the answer is no, but to win, no, to, to keep it a lot closer than a lot of people think it will be. Alabama is replacing three starters in in the secondary, uh, the, the, the two, the one they have coming back is Patrick, your the second at, at corner. Um, they, they have a dying safety Jordan battle, who is kind of elevating himself to an every down safety role. So they're not entirely green. Um, in the secondary but they they're going to have a new corner most likely to be Josh Job um, a, a talented corner who did get a start in the Citrus Bowl when when Trayvon Diggs sat out the Citrus Bowl, so he has a little bit of experience under his belt. And when you look at the nickel and dime guys, they're likely to be two freshmen. Malachi Moore and Brian Branch are, are two freshmen that really impressed the coaching staff in in preseason practice. So if if you're going to try to put up enough points on on Alabama to make them really work for this win and in Columbia, I think you would you would hope hope that you can pick on the, the freshmen in the secondary, maybe to a lesser extent, to the, the deep safety, particularly Daniel Wright, who, who played less than, than Jordan Battle last year. But, but I think that would probably be your answer. That's the weak point of, of Alabama's team right now.
2: That, that'll actually be very interesting, considering Missouri's retooled wide receiver group and two of the three starting receivers will be making their Missouri debuts as graduate ch- transfers in Kiki Chisholm and Damon Hazleton. Kiki would be most interesting there because he's coming from D2 Angelo State, yet looks like an NFL player from everything we've seen from the Missouri coaching staff going up against a true freshman who I'm sure was highly touted if you're going to start at Alabama coming in or an experienced guy. So that kind of contrast would be very interesting to see. Just go Going forward, though, you know, do you have are are you the type of guy that kind of would pick this game and, and pick the cover? Are you that type of guy? And if so, give us your score prediction.
1: Uh, we're forced to, unfortunately. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at against the spread picks, but I'm I'm forced to do them anyway, so I, I did pick Bama to cover in in this game. Um, I, I'm kind of curious why the line is as low as it is, uh, I, like that 27-ish point line that I saw on that MGM last time I checked it um, earlier on Wednesday morning. I'm kind of curious why it's that low since the, the talent gap between the two programs is just so glaring at the moment, which it's that way with, with most of, of college football. That's not a, a shot at Missouri. It's just a, a statement of, of reality in college football these days. I'm wondering if that's a little bit of skepticism for Alabama's new offense since Mac Jones is kind of a unknown commodity, if not viewed a little skeptically by, by some people, his own fan base included uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious I, I wish I could get an odds maker on the phone to, to know what it was that, that made them put that line there um, but I, I do think Bama will, will cover that number
2: yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, even though I think Missouri will cover based off of just uh, late touchdowns. I think Missouri will you yeah. know, garbage time touchdowns get within that money money range, but I don't think the game will be close for a lot of it. Just from my own money, uh, I, although I think that this, this year in COVID is a horrible year to bet on any college sports. However, uh, just were you kind of surprised to see Mac Jones get the starting role with how it just seemed like Bryce Young was a guy of destiny coming in as a five star prospect and just, but then Mac Jones went out of camp.
1: I think it would have been a real a, a really heated competition if the pandemic didn't happen and and we got a full-on spring practice and, and summer workouts and, and preseason practice as it normally happens but because the, the pre the offseason was so disjointed Alabama got no preseason no no spring practice uh, they they typically start that around mid to mid-march or so and, and the pandemic actually struck right as Alabama was, was was about to hit the field. Um, so Bama got no spring practice. They had to install, do all their offseason installs via Zoom, as, as most other schools did. And I, I just imagine it's difficult for for a freshman to gain a command of a, of a college offense that way, especially uh, an offense like C. Sarkeesian. that obviously has some uh, professional concepts in it from his background and his time with the with the Falcons before coming to Alabama, so uh, I, I think there will come a time where Bryce Young's talent uh, does kind of force Alabama to make a difficult decision because he is so immensely talented, and as he becomes more comfortable in the system, he may become a better option than Mac Jones. I, I just wasn't surprised that it was Mac Jones because Bryce didn't really have the opportunity to gain a command of the system the way he would have had, had, had we not be uh, been thrown into a global pandemic
2: Is it national title or bust this year for Alabama? It seems like that's yes every year, but is it true this year?
1: It is yes every year, and it is yes this year. Um, the defense is expected to be uh, significantly better from last year, especially against the run. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the offense takes a little bit of a regression in terms of explosive plays and thus and maybe stats like points per drive or or something to that effect because you're, you're going to be less explosive this year with, with someone other than Tua at quarterback. And, some, and two of the four awesome wide receivers from from last year gone. But I, I still think this is going to be a, a dominant team. I think the offense is going to produce at a, at a pretty high level to the point that – they they will justify national championship or or bust expectations. I think mean, realistically that's going to be the expectation around here until Nick Saban hangs it up, and probably a few years after that, whether it's it's fair or not. But this year, I think that that expectation is fair. I think they're they're going to have a, a better defense, and I'm I'm of the belief that the offense is gonna is gonna stand up to that, and, and they could be one of the best teams in in the nation. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a shootout with Trevor Lawrence at and Clemson it later, later on in the in the year. But we'll we'll see if we'll see if we get lucky enough to witness that.
2: I got you. And one kind of f- final question here for you, Brett. I know you haven't been on the Alabama beat a while, but just. How do you kind of, from your up-close view, just rate Nick Saban's legacy just in terms of college football? Is he the greatest to ever do it? And if he's not, what does he still have to do to get there?
1: I I think he is because I I think you could argue that he's doing this in an era that it's more difficult than any of the other great coaches that that have ever ever done it. I I think the current college football climate is more difficult to – be this consistently great for this long. It's more difficult to do it now than it was when Bear Bryant did it in Alabama a few decades ago. It's more difficult to do it now than when Tom Osborne did it in Nebraska. It's a lot more difficult to do it now than those Notre Dame teams that did it during the World War. And there are other examples of of dynasties throughout uh, college football history. Uh, The Bobby Bowden era at at Florida State. Uh, The list goes on. Ohio United State's had a few of those as well. I think it's just more difficult to do it now than it is in, in any of those other areas. It would certainly help Nick Saban's case to, to get one or two more national titles, especially to get a, a favorable comparison to Bear Bryant, who won six, all of them here at, at Alabama. It, it would certainly help his case there, but if, if Nick Saban hung it up after this season, which to be clear, I, I do not... Think is going to be the case. I think there would be a, a perfectly justifiable case for him to be the the best college football coach of all time, and I'm sure Florida State fans and Nebraska fans and others would would disagree. But the the case is is perfectly justifiable.
2: All right. Once again, that was Brett Hudson from the Tuscaloosa News. You can find him on Twitter. It's at what more time? What's your Twitter at?
1: It's Brett underscore Hudson. I had to get the the underscore on it. Funny funny story. Uh, last A couple of years ago, I had this random tweet from a press conference that was, like, glowing up, and the person who owned the at Brett Hudson handle tweeted at me asking how much I would pay him to have that handle. Like Zero. I'm not paying you, you lunatic.
2: All right. Well, that's a good story because for a while, I mean, I mean, my Twitter handle is at by Eric Blum. I have a similar, very similar story, and I'm not going to change it now that I'm verified on Twitter. But <laughs> the guy, the guy who owns the uh, the Eric Blum account at Eric Blum account logged in like every five months or so, and that's it. Just didn't tweet. So therefore, his account was still active, but I couldn't have it. So I, I, I wrote Twitter a letter, and they said, No, his account's active. We can't do anything about it. So
1: he has the best Twitter account. He never
2: tweets. Yeah, he has the most, the least toxic Twitter account on the planet. That guy, whoever is, he, is. He, he is, he is doing Twitter a lot better than the rest of us. I, I completely agree. Well, thank you so much for your
0: time, Brett. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Missouri Sports Podcast. University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast.
2: And thank you once again Great info on Alabama heading into Missouri season opener. But before I forget, the Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade to order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild to wild sauces. Stop at our neighborhood Zaxby's today. And Langston told me off recording that you have been to the Zaxby's in town at
0: North 63 and Stadium Drive, Stadium Boulevard. Yes, yeah, definitely me. got the wings and things and the fried mushrooms. Absolutely fantastic. Got it right before Thursday Night Football last week. So it was pretty good. You should stop on by to Zaxby's. And then we just played a little Steely Dan for you. Have you? Do you like Steely Dan? I can honestly say I never heard of them before you just. Played I, that's, that that that's
2: that's uh, oh man. I mean yes, they're 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 a little bit more in the '70s with Donald Fagen and Walter Becker. But I just the line of uh, you know they call Alabama the Crimson Tide. I thought I'd play it. Hopefully we don't get flagged for audio reasons, but it was worth playing it. I know I uh, appreciate that song, and my dad's a huge fan, so appreciate Bruce Blum listening out there. But back to the actual uh, football talk. So we talked about quarterback, we and we talked about a little bit about corner, but let's just go position by position, talk about the depth chart, uh, and we and then we'll talk about some league-wide things. So quarterback, as we mentioned, Connor Bazelak or Sean Robinson will start at running back. Uh, Larry Roundtree and Tyler Beatty share the first line, and then therefore on the third line is the newcomer Elijah Young and senior Dawson Downing. Uh, it's fully expected that Larry Roundtree and Tyler Beatty would get the bulk of the work anyway, so I imagine Roundtree will get the first snap because he's older, but who knows? Uh, Wide receivers, starting wide receivers are Damon Hazleton, the grad transfer, Kiki Chisholm, the grad transfer. And at the slot is Jalen Knox, the only returner. Some of the backups include uh, Chance Looper, Deontay Smith, Javen Hester, Towski Dove, Michael Wilson, Barrett Bannister, Dom Jacinto. At tight end... Uh, we have a, pretty much a three-way you know, battle still for the starting spot between Daniel Parker Jr., who is uh, – that's who I expected to be the starter, Nico Hay from CBC in St. Louis, and then Logan Christopherson, uh, a redshirt junior who saw a little bit of action last year, but definitely not as much as Nico Hay or Daniel Parker Jr. Uh, the only offensive line position kind of looks like it's still up in the air uh, is at left tackle between Zeke Powell and Bobby Lawrence. And even on today's uh, SEC media call uh, – basically Eli Drickwood said that availability is better than ability at this point when it comes to the left tackle spot not saying that Zeke Power Bobby Lawrence is not up to par I just don't think he's had enough with, you know, pro- with injuries and COVID on the offensive line he just hasn't had enough time to properly feel great about starting anyone there uh but maybe that'll come as the season comes along. Uh, at left guard, one of the only kind of true battles we knew about coming in has been solved with Xavier Delgado, a Richard sophomore, uh, starting at left guard, taking over. For, that's the spot that Trev Sims occupied last year. Uh, Mike Maietti, the Rutgers graduate transfer at center, by the way, taking over Christian Colon Castillo, who announced he is uh, going to be a father coming up with uh, his, I believe that's his girlfriend or fiance. Uh, congratulations to them with a baby due March of 2021. Uh, right guard Case Cook and right tackle Larry Borum are the two returning starters from last year. So that is the entire offense.
0: Langston, any thoughts about any of the above? Uh, it's really just going to be interesting. We mentioned it a little bit earlier on the podcast, but just two uh, two really different starters talking about the grad transfers at right receiver with Damian Hazelton and Kiki Chisholm excited to see what they'll do on the outside and really interesting to see if Jalen Knox can take that next step now here in his junior year and officially being number one a slot receiver uh, for Missouri yeah for sure uh, you know
2: it, it just it just seems interesting overall to me uh, and the entire offense is kind of just a, a question mark but you know Everybody kind of regrets last year offensively, so we're looking to like hope they take another step. Well, we kind of got to get back to where they were in 2018, or for some guys, 2017, before they take a next step. But I guess that Chisholm and
0: Hazleton don't really apply, and neither do any of the true freshmen uh, to that rule. And you, you kind of talk about that question mark. The only person on this, you know, on on this at the skill position who sh- shouldn't be a question mark is Larry Roundtree the third. He should come up, and then immediately he should have a thousand yard rushing season this year. Tyler Beatty a little bit, too. I mean, he was the team's... I mean, this this is
2: this is more of an indictment of Missouri than a good thing, but he was their leading receiver last year. He had 32 receptions, which is the first time that it happened since Brock Olivo in the mid-'90s. But your offense is not working properly when a running back, despite all the screen passes and shovel passes and all that, is your leading receptions getter. So... That's a good thing for Tyler Beatty, but not a good thing for Missouri's offense under Derek Dooley last year, and I don't expect that to be the case again coming this year. So that's kind of why I see them leaning run heavy going into this year, but we'll see what they end up doing. Uh, On the defensive side, uh, defensive end Trey Williams, the Columbia native, will be starting Uh, at one of the defensive end spots, at least. Looks like he'll he'll be starting his first on the depth chart. At the defensive tackle spots, Markel Utzi and Kobe Whiteside. And then the only or on defense or special teams, there are 13 ors on the depth chart, 12 of them are on the offense. The only or on defense or special teams is at the other defensive end spot with Chris Turner or Isaiah McGuire starting there. I thought that would have been Chris Turner based off of just, you know, just experience, but... We'll see who gets the nod there. Uh, In a complete shocker, Nick Bolton is starting at weak side linebacker, uh, the second team All-American, preseason All-American. And then at the middle linebacker spot, Cale Garrett's former spot, Devin Nicholson gets the odd there over Cameron Wilkins, Jamal Brooks, and I'm guessing a couple other guys that involve Chad Bailey. Uh, at cornerback, you got Jarvis Ware. Then you got Ennis Rakethrob, which you talked about earlier there. At strong safety, Martez Manuel gets the starting spot, the Columbia native. So two former Rockbridge players starting from Mizzou's defense. And then at free safety and boundary safety, it's Joshua Bledsoe and Tyree Gillespie, who really could make a difference for this defense. Any thoughts,
0: Langston, about the defense instead of me just rambling about name and naming names? This is Nick Walton year. It, last year, it was kind of Nick Bolton was just a step below, but it had a chance to shine um, when Cale Garrett uh, was injured last year. Now, this is this is his year. He's the captain of this defense, and I'm excited to see if you know his actual performance will match up with the preseason hype named to the SEC first team, preseason team um, earlier this week. Excited to see where he goes this year, and you know, it's going to be a great test against Alabama on week one. For sure. Uh, it's nice to see Martez getting a starting spot he showed. A lot
2: of signs last year that he was good. Uh, I wonder how much they'll rotate with guys like stacy Brown or an Dean or Chris sheeran and Jelani Williams back there. I really do think from top to bottom, running back or in the secondary is Missouri's best position group, which is weird to say because going into twenty nineteen, they look to be one of the most improved, but they were one of the weakest in twenty eighteen. They improved heavily in twenty nineteen. Now into twenty twenty. They're an they're an absolute cog in this wheel for this team. Uh, and then going into special teams for those you know, that are left, Harrison Meebus, a true freshman, uh, is the starting kicker. The holder will be the Kentucky graduate transfer, Grant McInnes. McInnes is also the team's starting punter. Long snapper looks to be Jake Hoffman at the moment, but Eli Drinkwitz said on the conference call earlier today that they've had some problems with COVID in terms of the long snapper, so maybe we'll see Drew Wise there. Uh, kick returner, Tyler Beatty, is listed as the main guy. Dawson Downing behind him. And a punt returner wide receiver, Chris Abrams Drain, is given the first team spot there. Another true freshman.
0: Any thoughts about the specialists? I know you love your specialties. Uh, well, I mean, the, my first thought is the Tucker McCann era is over. Um, for anyone who was a freshman in 2016 like I was, uh, you remember the missed extra points, uh, the missed kicks. And he really kind of turned his career uh, around and credit to him. I know that I th- believe he was on um, the Titans practice squad earlier this year. He's still there yeah so good for him for turning his career around but i'm excited to have a, a young kicker and and have a new impression because when i used to see tucker mccann go out there just from a fan perspective when i was when i was uh, still attending mizzou you would just you just groan audibly so i'm excited to have a new relationship with the kid kicker um now from a reporting perspective heading into the year for sure for sure uh
2: anything we missed about the depth chart you want to speak about real quick langston or you know what what stood anything
0: individually that stood out to you as okay this is this is not set as it says it is it's just the quarterback position and we're, uh-huh. we're going to find out every answer uh this weekend whether we see both quarterbacks or whether we only see one against alabama but i mean that's the storyline going into into this game and that's something that i'm going to be watching very co- closely is just you know Drinkwitz was in a tough position with covid-19 and everything changing this all season really probably didn't have the opportunity to install things and really kind of change this program the way you would want to in your first year you got to have a quarterback. And so that's the most important position on the field and I'm excited to see where things go especially against Alabama it's going to be a tough game we all understand that but I'm excited to kind of put a name and a face with the Missouri, you know, starting quarterback. I think that rings true for a lot of
2: us, what Langston just said. Kind of going into the league-wide stuff, uh, the USA Today Network actually announced their picks for conference-wide because there was no SEC Media Days last week. Very much reminiscent of what the uh, entire conference beat writing core uh, kind of did, uh, with Alabama being picked as the comp- not only the winner of the SEC West, but the winner of the conference overall. One of the changes was it looked like uh, actually Georgia and Florida tied for the uh, – sec east winner uh, i think it actually went right down the middle seven seven with us uh actually it had to be if it was a tie um and i voted for georgia but out uh, but florida wins the sec east according to uh this poll and, uh, and i'm trying to find the total number of voters which i don't think they released this year last year was over 900 um yeah they didn't release it this year uh picks for the SSE champion were overall alabama got first with 77 they were a unanimous pick among i think the 14 or 16 or however many of us on, in the usa today network were tied for second were georgia and lsu with seven each florida got five but then florida was picked to still win the eastern division with fifth with uh 53 of the 43 uh first place votes i guess that would be 96 combined right so only 96 people voted in this? Wow, that's way down from last year because if we do the 86 for Alabama, the 8 for LSU, and the 2 for Texas A&M, that would also equal 94, or that, that map that is 94 plus 2, which would be 96. So that makes sense now. So only 96 people voted in this poll, which is, with SC Media days, they had over 900 last year. So that's I a, a, a what, a... a thousand percent decrease yeah <laughs> that's 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 a pandemic for you uh and they also released the uh, uh the predicted order of finish uh florida first georgia second third is tennessee fourth kentucky fifth south carolina sixth missouri seventh vanderbilt in the east i think my ballot was georgia than florida tennessee kentucky missouri south carolina than vanderbilt uh, so a little bit of a difference there in the West, Alabama, then LSU, Auburn, A&M. Oddly, tied for fifth with a 238 points exactly each, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and Arkansas in dead last. Uh, I think I had mine as Alabama, LSU, A&M, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas was my ballot, and then I had Alabama winning. Uh, some Missouri players got on the all-SEC team. The only guy to get first-team honors
0: was Nick Bolton, I believe. Let me double check that. Nick Bolton was the only first team. Tyree Gilepsy and Kobe Whiteside, second team, and Larry Roundtree was picked to be on the third team. Very good that you had that left off here, because how the SEC organized this is just all over
2: the place. So I would have that, that would have taken a while for me. Thank you, Langston, for jumping in there and stopping my rambling. Uh, any player left off? Any player who didn't who got it who didn't deserve it, Langston? <laughs> um, not off the top of my head. Okay. Okay. I, I, I wanted to ask. It seemed like you had something in mind. It's like, you were kind of looking at like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that guy.
0: Maybe maybe it was another guy or what? what, what, what I was, was surprised on? that Roundtree was third team um, instead of maybe second. I just think he's going to have a monster year this year. And uh, yeah. just going back when Drinking Woods was at, was at Appalachian State last year, his number one running back, Drayton Evans. Drayton. Carrington Evans. Yeah. Darrington. Excuse me. Can't, can't even read my own hand. Carrington Evans. Evans. yeah he had over um, 250 carries and uh, 1,400 yards last year and I can see obviously Beatty and Roundtree will be splitting snaps throughout the season but to think that you know Roundtree is going to be at 186 carries and only 829 rushing yards this year is just is it insane those numbers both of those numbers will be going up this year I, I agree
2: what hurt Roundtree's case in particular
0: is that you have Najee Harris we talked about with Brett Hudson and then you have Kylan
2: Hill at Mississippi State who are just two undeniable guys that have to share the first team line so that automatically put Roundtree back and then I forget the other people off the top of my head who took it over him but when you have just teams like you know a Auburn and a a and Florida who have guys it's just it's not that surprising but I, I think I put Roundtree second team in my ballot but I didn't vote for him in the. we only did one team for the USA network I did not the people I put on my ballot for that were I'm trying to remember I did not put anyone on offense on that ballot um, I put Kobe Whiteside at defensive tackle and I put Nick Bolton at linebacker. Um, and then I actually, I think I put, actually, that's a lot. I put Kiki Chisholm on my ballot because we, instead of doing freshman of the year, we did newcomer of the year. I actually put Kiki Chisholm there, but KJ Costello at Mississippi state won that award. Uh, and I don't think KJ Costello is going to have a great year. So I was kind of surprised by that. I was going to put Jamie Newman there, the Georgia quarterback, but he opted out. Uh, so I went with Kiki Chisholm instead. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where everything stands. Kind of going this season is the whole length. and What do you think's in store this season for Missouri? I know we talked a little bit off recording. I had an article come out today where I said I think Missouri's gonna be four and six this season. The Vegas odds have it. I'd either three
0: or three and a half as the over under. How do you see 2020 going? I I guess my advice to any Missouri fans uh, this season is to just be patient. Um, the expectations and the anger towards Barry Odom, I th- I feel, um, got a little out of hand last year. Yes. Do I believe that Barry Odom ultimately needed to be fired? Yes. But um, this is a new direction under uh, Coach Drinkowitz, and it's going to take time. We've already talked about this you know, different offseason. It's going to take time. If Missouri jumps out to an 0-3 beginning, it doesn't mean you can't take positives from the season. And, you know, it is going to be a turbulent start to the drinkwoods era here at Missouri. Be patient. We're going to figure things out. Excuse me, not we're going to figure things out. They are going to figure things out. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it's if Missouri goes 4-6 and six this season, I, that could be a win. I think that's a
2: guaranteed win. I mean, I've said it in the past, maybe on here, maybe in other places, that as long as they don't lose to Arkansas and Vanderbilt at home, I think it's a successful year no matter what. And the rest of the schedule is an opportunity. If they beat Alabama, it's, I don't, it's not going to happen. But if they beat Alabama, that's one of the greatest wins in program history. And Eli Drinkwood's his first game in charge. That, that would set them up for success in Eli Drinkwitz no matter what. Like if they beat Alabama. And there's going to be other chances to a little bit less of a degree that they'll have throughout the season. Tennessee will probably rank in the top 15 of the country when that happens in week two. LSU could be ranked in the top five. Florida can be ranked in the top five. Georgia can be ranked in the top five. Kentucky could be ranked when that matchup happens. I don't think Mississippi State will be ranked when that matchup happens, but you get a chance on the road against South Carolina as well. I mean, this is just full opportunities, this schedule for me. I just don't think Missouri has the roster to contend and demolish a lot of these teams. But, you know, I think more upsets are going to happen this year in college football with COVID and everything than ever before. I think there's, there are some teams out there, Mississippi State I think being the most deceiving one in the conference, that won't be that good. I think that Mike Leach's first year in Pullman, they went 3-9, and nine, and they had a better roster then than this Mississippi State roster, regardless of KJ Costello and Kylan Hill. If that matchup was earlier in the season, I think that's a, a, a surefire win from Missouri, but because it's in December and in Starkville, it's going to be a little bit tougher. So we'll see if any of these projections come true. We can come back next week, and I'll apologize to you when Missouri beats Alabama coming this Saturday. Uh, but nah, just it's, it's a 28-point line. I mean, I do think Missouri will cover, as I said earlier. But anything else before we end this episode of the podcast? I really wanted to make this week involve as little COVID and as little social justice issues as possible because it is game week. But we got through it to this point without even mentioning anything like that. Langston, any final thoughts?
0: Final thoughts. Uh, continue to wear your mask, uh, Citizens of Columbia, and uh, enjoy this weekend. Uh, it's It's been a wild ride since um, March Madness was canceled and everything shut down last March, so enjoy this weekend. Regardless of the score, football is back in the SEC. Absolutely. For Langston Newsome, I'm Eric Blum. Get your lupus
2: and mumps shots. There we go. <laughs> and we will see you guys next week. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.